This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Kay, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Power Athlete Radio. This week, we bring you our conversation with former football player, competitive lifter, and coach Travis Mash. Over the past 20 years, Travis has dedicated his life to working with various sport athletes, and currently, he is coached to many high-level lifters, both at his North Carolina facility and abroad. The chat kicks off with some topical football news, and then Travis discusses his journey from field sports to weightlifting. John and Travis spend much of the discussion trading stories about the challenges and discoveries of playing football at a high level. Eventually, the two switch gears to Louis Simmons. Travis candidly discloses what he feels makes the training at Westside Barbell one of the most unique in the world. Coach Mash has more than a few stories to illustrate just how the hard work of a hopeful teenager can amount to greatness. Although most would say he's been a blessing to nearly all the athletes he's worked with, he maintains that it is he who is fortunate to have the opportunity to make dreams come true. Here's episode 125. What's happening, Power Athlete Nation? Welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. The team's been assembled. You've seen the sign. What you thought was the lunar eclipse was really John's shadow on the moon when he was walking out to his car the other night. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a great show for you. we got me, this is Denny, we got Tex, Luke, and John, and our guest today is Travis Mash, strength What's guru, up? power lifter, soon-to-be author. Shit, Travis, what else? I mean, you, you've... You coached uh, Bledsoe for a while. You coached John North for a while. I mean, shit. Yeah. You're, uh, you're, you're the stud. Well, I mean, I've had some good lifters. You know, a lot of that just happens to be, you know, right place at the right time. I mean, really. Yeah. So, but, um, I've had some great lifters, and so blessed to have them all. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, join us on the show. Uh, you know what, guys? Let's. Let's start with some football talk. And the reason I say that is because here in Chicago, uh, yesterday, power athlete defensive end Jared Allen got traded to Carolina. Week three, yes. man gets traded. Yes. Uh, it was, uh, I, I, I have know to say, Jared, like, I to think about that. I was, at first, I was like, man, should he be insulted? Oh, no, dude, it was good. It, I'll he, tell you. It, a better it, team. It, right? Yeah, He's but, I mean, a team with well, a better record. A team that's that's coached by Ron Rivera, Chico right. Rivera, who happened to play for arguably the greatest defense to ever step foot on an NFL field, the nineteen eighty five Chicago Bears. Well, you also know Ron Rivera is a Cal Bear. 
and was yes. uh, was my linebackers coach at the Philadelphia Eagles, and I know Ron real well. And um, but I'll tell you, for Jared, it was kind of a death sentence when um, they brought in the new coach because they went to a three four defense, and he, you know, they're they're wanting him to play a stand up outside backer, which is not really his deal. I mean, he went from shit potentially setting a sack record. What do you have five and a half sacks last year? So it really was yeah. just a kind of a shitty transition for him. So uh, the fact that he gets to go back to a 4-3 defense and he gets to go play for a defense-oriented coach and he gets the fuck out of Chicago, which anybody yeah. that watched that game the other night, like, yeah, it, you know, I mean. But does that, that game mean be... anything, though? Because, I mean, Green yes. plays 3-4 defense, but it doesn't mean they play it every single down, right? They Well, it... if, if, if you take a look at, like, uh, the backer they have, I mean, their outside rush backer is Clay Matthews, uh, sure. who now, you know, guys are injured and they went back to a 43 last night and are allowing him to play actually a real backer. Uh, you know, and you have the, the commentating crew on Monday Night Football, I don't think could have got Clay Matthews' dick in their mouth well, <laughs> as often as they did. They were double sausage. No doubt. You know, oh, my God. Really well, John Gruden's got a big I, I, dude, dude, uh, dude, Gruden usually doesn't fucking pull that, but, I mean, Gruden was like balls, chaff. <laughs> I moved it. Like, I, it was unreal. Two D's, one mouth. Aaron, eight. Rogers it was unreal, Matthews, dude. Dude, dude. When when they put up the uh, the media of like him going to five Pro Bowls and the other Green Bay Packers that yeah, went to five yeah. Pro Bowls, and they were like, this guy would have started on the you know uh, you know Super Bowl number one. He's mm-hmm. cut out of the same. I mean, he's a good player. I mean, don't get me wrong, like yeah. he is, but like I mean, it's it's the only time I've heard it as bad is when JJ oh. Watt's playing, okay. and they're like, oh my god. J.J. Watt's on the sideline drinking water. You, you think the other team was intimidated that J.J. Watt was on the sideline drinking water? You think that's why he threw the incomplete pass? You're like, Jesus Christ, this is, this is unbelievable, dude. Well, so it's kind of like, uh, if you remember the movie Armageddon? Yes. So instead of, like, Bruce Willis and his crew, do you think they're going to send the Packers in the event that a meteor is <laughs> coming save through? save the world. Well, I don't know. I, I, I know you guys aren't really a big fan of the Pitch Perfect movies <laughs> like I am. I've seen, I've seen Pitch Perfect uh, but 2. But Pitch Perfect 2 had the Packers they in did. it. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, my daughters uh, love that movie. Okay, your daughters. Uh, so John is air quoting right now. Yeah. No, my daughters are uh, big fans of Pitch Perfect because of the singing. So we got Pitch Perfect 2, and I'm watching it, and uh, those guys were in that movie. And that guy is, you know, he's, he, he's a great player, and he plays for a great team, and he's doing well. And uh, just the... The, it, it was painful for me to watch uh, Kansas City last night, especially because the right guard that was playing was wearing 76. I saw that. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and he was fight, like so bad that my agent, who I haven't spoken to in like a couple years, texts me and he's like, this is fucking painful for me. He's like, do you want to make a comeback? I can fucking probably get you a job tomorrow. And I was like, go well, fuck yourself. Yeah. It was, uh, and, and then I thought about it and I was like, what's the veteran minimum for me? Okay, I'll do it. No. Uh, it was bad. And, We're going I mean, back the, to the show. Oh, dude, it'd be great. I'd be like, you see me getting interviewed with like the power athlete radio hat on. I'm like, <laughs> great advertising. Uh, John, do it for the content. I I wish uh, I, I wish I had known you guys when I was playing. I mean, you, uh, we would have had a way better entourage with you guys than uh, with the other idiots I was rolling with at the time. <laughs> Your boy Jared Allen though, he's gonna be down there. My one of my best friends is their um, strength coach, Coach. Ken, uh, you guys know Joe Ken. Yeah, yeah. got. NFL strength coach of the year two times in a row, but he's a great dude. And so uh, he he trains when he's home. He trains at my gym, so um, he's in good hands. Yeah, we we met uh, Joe Ken at uh, when we went out to the Elite FTS deal. Uh, Dave Tate and um, uh, Mark uh, Mark Watts invited us out, and I went out with Tex and Bobby and those cats out to Columbus, and I got to hear. Um, 
Joe and those guys gave him to speak. It was the first time I'd ever met him, but it was it was cool. As we started rapping, we realized we knew a lot of people, and you know he was, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know I guess Ron Rivera had been treating him real well, and so now we just knew a lot of the same people. And it was pretty funny when he started asking me about how I kind of came up and like you know some of the guys I trained with. Like everybody I mentioned, he would just like kind of like close his eyes and shake his head. He's like, no, really? I'm like, yeah. So I mean, like I, uh, you know. I started powerlifting when I was like 14 years old for this old guy named George Zangus who invented the marathon super suits and the wraps. And we talked about George numerous times. And no so he way. was like, yeah, yeah he, and, and like all the old powerlifters knew George and marathon and like had used his stuff. So he was like, dude, that was, I was like, he, he lived in our town. He lived down the street and that's where I trained. And then, you know, went to Cal and then I played for uh, Todd Rice, um, you know, who was a big Olympic lifting guy and, you know, just kind of had some pretty good coaches in out there. So it's, uh, it's always cool to meet people and kind of connect on that level. No doubt, you know, like uh, marathon. When I was coming up, it was like on its way out, but it was everyone knew that it was the best stuff. Like really, it's better than Enzer, it's better than Titan, it's better than everybody. But the guy just, you know, kind of stopped, I guess. But well, what uh, what happened to George was kind of, um, I think, happens to a lot of successful guys. They like kind of get to this kind of like big peak, and everything's kind of crushing it. And I don't think he could pivot the market, or he saw the way it was coming. I mean, he was kind of old school, where it was kind of brick and mortar locations and, and like mail order yeah. and like uh, all of a sudden I think like the uh, those guys were kind of used to this hey I'm gonna advertise in uh, a local health food store and uh, you know and then I'll go you know sponsor some bodybuilding or some uh, powerlifting stuff and uh, I just right. don't think he could like pivot the market at the, the point at which it, it changed because I remember when you know the internet started he was like man I don't think this internet thing is gonna be real big I'm like you don't think and I swear, I swear to God, it was uh, 1994, 95. I remember uh, I had to put like seven discs in a computer to get on this thing called the internet, so that we could like email <laughs> papers to our teacher. You got no it. doubt. And, yeah. and, and uh, I remember like uh, there was like message boards and like things, and like there was numbers you could call and buy things, and it was kind of like kind of starting. And I was like, man, I think this internet thing is going to be pretty big. Like, like I bet you one day you'll be able to get on, uh, get on there and buy things. And he's like, ah, I just don't see it. I, you know, I just don't think it'll it'll ever rep uh, replace person-to-person -person contact. And I was like, yeah, I was like, well, I, I, you know, they seem to like it at, at college. He's like, yeah, it's a fad. So yeah, people and, don't uh, give a shit about person-to-person. -person, yeah. No, well, it uh, and you know, Travis, you, you sound uh, a lot like me. Where you know, if you wanted to train or you wanted to meet somebody, or you wanted to do something, you actually went out and got, went out and did it. And now it's like, yeah. and we we we've talked about this for years. It's like. If there's somebody or something you need to know, you need to go out and meet the person sitting from the fucking comfort of your basement, of your mom's basement, reading message boards and being a fucking keyboard warrior is uh, never gets you very far. So it's like, you know, uh, you know, and that's what was was cool with uh, with George and that we got a, a lot of history and a lot of good information. I remember he used to just regale, like take us to dinner on Friday night and, uh, you know, just tell us stories. I remember um, he was a Thompson powerlifting coach and, you know, talking about like Frank Zane used to come train with all their powerlifters and he used to refer to Zane as the chemist. And uh, so just <laughs> some of the good stories he would tell us about those guys were pretty good. So, Yeah, Travis, what uh, can you talk a little bit about like your history, kind of like your journey, where how you started uh, and, and, you know, how you got to where you're at now? Uh, well, I mean, um, yeah, I played football at Appalachian State University and our strength coach, um, gosh, man, that guy was far and above, you know, at the time, this was in early 90, 91 to 95 is when I played, but Coach Mike Kent, he's now with the uh, University of Florida, at least that's the last place I heard, but 
but he was so far above everybody else that uh, you know he taught us great you know squatting you know he taught us um, perfect cleans. We didn't do a lot of jerks, but we even started working on snatch. But anyway, so he kind of got me into you know a lot of the different types of movements. And then um, when football was over, you know he's the one who recommended that maybe I pursue you know Olympic weightlifting. And um, so then I just moved to you know, Colorado Springs, uh, started doing that. And then about 2001, my father uh, got uh, diagnosed with lung cancer. And so that sent me back to North Carolina because I didn't want to, you know, stay out there and pursue the Olympics and while my dad died. So um, came home, and then that's when I got into powerlifting. And really self-taught, you know, um, if anybody coached me, I guess you would say it was Louis Simmons. Uh, you know, he helped me a little bit. Really, we just had a good crew here in North Carolina, and uh, that's how it worked out. Uh, Travis, I was going to say, as soon as uh, when I, I jumped on the line, we were just kind of bullshitting before, and I heard you talking for a second there. I actually was like, I, I thought it sounded like Louie. I, I was like, is, is that Louie on the phone? You got kind of the same rasp and kind of this, uh, a little bit of that, and I was wondering if you hung out with Lou a lot because, uh, you know, he's a definitely lot. a yeah, super influential guy. Yeah, I mean, um, I didn't do all of his, you know, methods, but I definitely, you know, used a lot of the conjugate method, but, you know, I didn't do a lot of the dynamic effort. I never really felt that, you know, a whole lot was being done, but um, I normally, if you want to know the truth, basically maxed out every day in one way or another. Um, yeah, there was really no science. You know, I would do their dynamic effort, but that would always turn into go heavy as hell, you know, so. But, you know, I used bands and chains, but. Really, nowadays, I don't do a whole lot of that. I stick strictly to mainly just the barbell, but we mess around with chains and all that, but um, still definitely a lot of influence in my in my training and my plans from Louie, but there's a lot of influence from a lot of other people too, though. Sure. With the, uh, have you found, like, um, you know, I, we obviously played a lot with the chains, the bands. I think people get romanced with them a little bit. And, uh, yeah. you know, I know we went out to Westside. Those guys were straight up into the bands, and that's all they really ever did. And I, I always found, a, like, a lot more uh, benefit out of the chain stuff just because as the chains kind of clanked down, it would kind of pull the bar out of position. And so you always had to kind of really fight for position. And right. um, But at the end of the day, you know, the you know, like, and, and it's, it's interesting. I mean, every week you read somebody, whether they're, you know, pro band or they're shitting on, or, uh, you know, uh, accommodating resistance, it kind of goes back and forth. But the one thing that I really found, and it was, it was interesting when I told this to Louis, he kind of looked at me a little crazy, was I was like, you know, I, I never really uh, found that much benefit from the band as a, you know, as a non-geared lifter, but I'll tell you what it really taught me was compensatory acceleration. It taught me how to, like, keep yeah. accelerating the bar past the mechanical advantage. And Louis kind of like kind of scoffed that a little bit, and then um, I became buddies with uh, Fred Hatfield, and I actually brought that up to Fred, and Fred was like, uh, he and he was like, I couldn't agree with you more. He's like the the bands that come in resistance teach an athlete how to accelerate past mechanical advantage better than anything we've ever done. He goes, I preached it for years for compressor acceleration, and he goes, it was um, you know high level athletes could understand it, but it was really hard for the average person too. Yeah, and I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah, and he and he's like, so I know when I started incorporating that into my own uh, training when I was playing in the NFL, uh, it taught me really how to accelerate into that, like kind of, you know, I guess you could say the last, you know, 30, 40 degrees, like on a punch, or you know, looking to explode, or trying to like, you know, uh, you know, 
you know, to get full extension as you hit somebody. Like, right. like that ability to kind of keep that extension. And um, it was a, it was like one of those things where I'd never really heard anybody talk about it, but it was something we were doing, and I was I saw a huge carryover for it. So as I, uh, you know, kind of got into you know, being friends with different powerlifters and different people, you know, you got people that just shit all over it and other people are like, no, it's for this. And I was like, dude, I think there's an, uh, an unused benefit, but I don't necessarily know if uh, the people that are coaching it are working with athletes in such a way that it would make sense. That's I think all that's, we're talking about. Yeah, totally. It, so there seems to be like a big disconnect in strength and conditioning. And dude, you're probably actually the perfect person to talk to about this. Whereas I attack it from the idea yeah, like how do I increase performance so that we can do something better on the field, whether it's, you know, in these kind of uh, non-repetitive type sports like football, whereas I think uh, most people, when they think of strength conditioning, they look at things like, hey, I'm going to go to powerlifting, I'm going to go to Olympic lifting. That's kind of repetitive nature sports for non-repetitive athletes, and uh, that's, uh, you know, can be good, but it also can be bad because, you know, if you start talking to a guy who does, who, his only job is to basically put his feet in, in the ground and do a close chain exercise and just go vertical squat up and down. And then you start talking to him about, hey, I need to, I have a job or I have a, a sport that, that forces me to move my feet all the time. You know, is there enough carryover? So that's something that we kind of wrestle back with, trying to really try to hammer through people. That you know, if you want to talk about athletic training, you probably have to do some form of athletic training. No doubt, and like you know, like I, I hate when people say, "I'm just going to do." I'm going to do a powerlifting strength conditioning program. I'm going to I'm going to use West Side to to train football, or I'm going to do Olympic weightlifting, or I'm going to do uh, strongman. It's it's a combination, like you said. Yeah, it's you know football is a very diverse sport. You're doing all kinds of elements. You're you're moving. You know you're going to be in all the different planes, transverse, you know sagittal, and like you're going to be doing so many different stuff, so why do one thing? But, like, it's all good. It's about, it's about taking the, the, you know, the good and leaving the bad of all these different elements that you're exposed to. I mean, you know, even, like, you know, hanging out with Zach Evanesh over the weekend, like some of his odd object stuff. I mean, that's great for football because, really, that's more what football is like. You know, you don't have a barbell that you're moving. You have this human being that's trying not to let you move him. So it's, you know, um, there's a lot of different ways – to get an athlete in, in great shape. But, yeah, using the bands for compensatory acceleration is exactly the reason I would do it, you know, and that's the same reason I do, you know, weightlifting is you're t teaching people acceleration, you know, so power production. Yeah, that, that ability to, you know, can you generate force, and then more importantly, uh, can you take, and, and, dude, this is like the riddle of the Sphinx, which has been so interesting for me, um, you know, the last bunch of years we've been doing this, uh, watching people that are very talented in the weight room and then having no carryover onto the field or watching guys that have zero talent and no real, you know, uh, great, I guess, affinity for the weight room that are extremely talented on the field. So a big thing I always talk about is, like, if the, you know, you can be the best coach in the world, you can be the fucking smartest person on the planet in terms of how to design programming, but at the end of the day, if your athlete can't translate what you're doing uh, you know, off the field, on the field, then effectively it was kind of a failure. And I think, like, that to me is the proving ground. Like, was your athlete successful? Like, if you go in and you work with a football player and, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you have this you know, million-dollar million dollar idea, I'm going to do all this, it's going to work, and, you know, then, you know, you put him out there and he goes out to training camp and gets his fucking ass beat. No like, doubt. Yes, I totally agree with you. And, like, if you're a strength coach and you're not talking about mindset, 
goal setting, or even like my man Dan John talks about, uh, arousal and intention. If you're not talking about those things while the athlete is in the weight room, then you're doing them an injustice. If all you're talking about is like, oh, let's try to get your clean, you know, to 350, or let's try to get your squat to 600, you know, you're not training them to be a great athlete. It's those other know uh, categories I just talked about that are much more important like why are you doing what you're doing you know like uh, how are you feeling when you do a deadlift well that should be how you're feeling when it's fourth and one in the fourth quarter like relating some of the things you're doing to what they're doing on the field and constantly reminding them I mean you know that's all we can do and at the end of the day you know whether somebody all you can do is make that human being a better athlete and then it's up to them and their, you know, the sport coach actually to make them great football players. But you know, strength coaches can only make them better athletes. You know, Travis, could you talk about some of your approaches or methods to training that mentality with some of your youth athletes who may not get that experience from older brothers or sport coaches? Well, you know, number one, all my athletes are going to do a, a massive goal setting session. It's going to probably go through several days of like detailing what they're talking about. So like, um, you know, say seventh grade, they come to me and they tell me I want to play in the NFL. I'm the strength coach that says that's the most awesome thing I've ever heard. So then I'm going to talk to them and say, well, what does it take? And then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say, who's your favorite player? And then I'm going to say, now go research exactly the steps that guy took to get there. So then they come back and, and they show me the research and then we're going to then we're going to take those steps and apply it to that athlete's life. And then throughout their career with me, you know, they're going to constantly be reminded. So like let's say that they miss a day. Then I'm going to say, look, you know, you told me that you wanted to play, you know, for the Baltimore Ravens or whatever. And like th your actions are not, you know, are not matching your goals. So that would be one big way is that to know and to map out and for them to actually start to see. See, talking is, is great. Like, I'm all about the big dreams, but, like, the actions you're going to take throughout that high school career, that's going to be what's important. So that's the first step is, is goal setting. And, and then mindset is, um, I mean, I think our jobs as strength coaches is to simply be a daily shift of paradigm. So it's like, you know, if an athlete, you know, is telling me, hey, I'm trying to, you know, I just want to make the team on the varsity, you know, field, then I'm going to be like, why do you just want to make the team a start? You know, so like, you know, starting to shift those paradigms is, is so important, you know, as strength coaches is to shift it up, keep shifting up. Because some athletes don't get that at home, you know, man, they're, you know, their, da their, their dads and their moms are telling them, hey, you suck. And so um, our job is to shift that up. And so... And then, you know, third is like as they're doing certain movements, relate and tell them why you're doing it. I teach most of my athletes when they leave me could literally be strength coaches in a college because I have taught them and taught them here's why you do this. Here's why we squat. Here's why we go deep. You know, here's range of motion. Here's the studies. And so I'm relating what they're doing to what they're doing on the field. And so it starts to be much more of a mind-body connection. Does that make sense? Completely. That, I believe that, that connection is lost. I've worked in a lot of gyms and I ran as a coaches from high school to college, and I don't see that paradigm shift that you're talking about or that attempt at connection. They're just obsessed with reps, sets, numbers, percentages, and periodization when, you know, you've got to develop them mentally as well. Yeah, who gives a shit about that, man? I mean, like, you know, like, I, I'm trying to make them better football players, and, like, you know, a lot of things, I think a huge mistake 
the strength conditioning coaches in, in America get caught up in are numbers themselves. You know, that my athlete lifted this much, ran this fast. I'm like, yeah, but your athlete sucks on the field, so it doesn't matter. You know, like, you know, my athlete will beat your athlete's ass on and off the field, you know. So, you know, the, the, you know what are you doing? Um, what is your goal? To make them a weightlifter? I mean, then, hey, then you're doing a great job. But if it's to get them to play college football, you're doing a piss-poor job, you know? Well, the uh, something I think Tex ran into this a little bit uh, when he went out, out into the college and was working at a major Division one school, and I remember he hit me up, is this kind of disconnect that he saw where these guys were so romanced with his numbers. And I think what happens is when you get to a major university, like a top-10 place that has uh, you know, 30, 40, 50 guys in the NFL, what coaches and what athletes are doing is, you know, I, I'm here, so obviously uh, – you know, they check that box. And then, you know, that guy was a first-round draft pick. He was six foot, 225 pounds. He ran this. He did this. They start looking at stats. And then what they do is they start translating those stats to other people in that idea of this guy has a chance to be that guy for us instead of looking at everybody as kind of unique people. And, and you know, I mean, that, I remember that used to happen in the NFL all the time. I remember, uh, oh, this guy reminds me a lot of you. And I was like, really, like, what about him? Oh, he's a – you know, uh, hard hat, you know, lunch pail, uh, plays hard, you know, uh, uh, tough, tough, tough guy. I'm like, well, he's, he's a white guy, which is basically how you categorize all white guys. All white guys exactly. in the NFL play offensive line are like hard hat, lunch pail, comes to work every day, hard worker this. And I'm like, come on, dude. Like, it, and, and I think, like, that's a hard thing, and I never really like to ever sink that on people. Um, but I think you get into something, and I had recently gone down and visited with the guys at Baylor, and uh, Kaz, who's their head strength coach, was one of our assistants in Kansas City. And, uh, you know, as I got a chance to, to, to meet the guys and wrap with Kaz a little bit, he made some, he made one of the, probably the best comments uh, I'd heard from a college strength coach. And he told me, he goes, you know, uh, my job is, is to, you know, obviously get these kids in shape, but he's like, my job is such a deeper meaning in that I have to, prepare these kids for not only what they're going to experience here, but what they're going to experience after. And he goes, you know what? I can't fail these kids to prepare them uh, for all the other stuff that they're going to have to deal with. And he's like, you know, big part of my job is, you know, they come in here and train, but he's like, they got school, they got girls, they got, you know, boosters, they got all these other key factors, everything else, potentially playing the NFL, a 99% of other things. They got that 1%, which is what we do in here. And he's like, I got to be able to prepare these kids I got to be able to be that guy who's not kissing their ass and riding them down and prepare them for what's ahead. And, uh, you know, no such a fucking contrast from, you know, the other coach who just wants to know how many reps that guy got this, this, and this. And I, I was really pretty impressed with, uh, with Kaz and the, the, the program Baylor's put together. And there's a reason those guys are doing so good because, um, you know, they were not only, I mean, we got up on a Friday and, and I conditioned with those guys at 6 a.m. And, dude, those guys were, were, we're putting forth effort that uh, I was impressed with, and I was like, I think these guys can be pretty good. They've actually turned out to be pretty good. I mean, man, like you know, numbers like are are so irrelevant to me. You know, obviously, you want your your guy to be prepared for what he's about to do on the field. So, you know, if he's benching 135 and he's a defensive lineman, he's probably in trouble. But like, you know, you got like one of my best athletes. Uh, his name's Cade Carney, who just uh, committed to Wake Forest University. He got recruited by a lot of universities, but it's a so, it's a, you know, Wake Forest is a great school, and, you know, uh, it's here near us. But, so he chose them. But this kid got um, – he, Hey, Coach, he, uh, not to cut you off, but uh, uh, how many uh, – you know, just, just for our listeners, which is something that I always mark as a coach, uh, how many guys have you helped get uh, uh, scholarships? Oh, my God. I I don't know. Like a lot. Like a lot. Um, like double – triple digits? 
Yeah, probably somewhere between double and triple easily. Yeah. That's fucking yeah. awesome. I don't no, I mean, know it, it's, yeah. I, I, you know, I mean, we, we run into coaches all the time that tell me about, oh, this kid could do this, this, and this. And I, I had a, one guy come to us and was like, oh, yeah, this, uh, this kid's going to be a beast. Uh, you know, he's going. And I think the guy was, the kid was like 16. He's like, yeah, he's going to go full time into CrossFit. And he, he's got all these numbers. And I looked at him, I was like, full time into CrossFit. I was like, that, that's great. I mean, if he's going to try to win the games, but like that kid potentially could get a scholarship somewhere. And the fact that like you're not telling him this, you're fucking that kid over. I'm like, dude, uh, yeah. the ability to yeah. get a scholarship and like go to school and have all your school paid for. I mean, I I was fairly intelligent and I got decent grades, but there was no fucking way I was getting into Berkeley. Uh, the valedictorian of my high school didn't get into Berkeley, and I got to go play there, and uh, they paid for my school and that opportunity yeah. to go. So uh, thank you for that. I mean, that's that's that should be the mark of every person that's training kids at some point at development level to help them kind of attain and get to that next level. So continue. You know, wait, wait for us. Wait for us. Well, I mean, um, I, you just brought me to another story that's even better, but I'll finish this quickly. But, um, you know, Cade, you know, ran, he's, uh, you know, the Nike spark, the spark combines, the football combines, but he got the, yeah. third, he got the third best in America, but it wasn't because it just, that just was what he did. We didn't like train for that, you know, for the Nike combine, but this kid just over time did it. But like, you know, he can squat. Yes. 450. But let me tell you, here's the thing is that I've never maxed him out. So he did, he's a, he's a running back too. He's a, a white running back, believe it or not. But, um, he's a uh, 210 pounds. He can squat well below parallel 450 pounds, but I've never maxed him because I mean, why get him any stronger? I mean, like, is it worth, is it, yeah, I know he could do 500, but I'm not going to put it on his back, you know? Well, like, you and, know, also, well and, and also the time, and, and this is something, too, that uh, uh, I figured out a little, uh, you know, once I was in the NFL, that there was a acceptable level of strength. There was a level of strength that I needed to reach, maintain, and, like, get and back good. to. And it was, yeah. like, it, it was, like, kind of a perfect thing. It was, like, a 500 bench, 600-pound uh, squat, and I pulled, like, 585 for a set of 10 on the RDL, and if I could do... 20 plus pull-ups, and if I could do 10 pull-ups with 90 pounds between my waist, I had all of these different training goals that my whole off-season was built getting back to those. And if I got back to them early, then you know what? Then uh, you know, then I, what I needed to do was just be able to continue to train at that level, but I needed to be able right. to get more focus. And then I, I knew it was pretty much uh, time to retire when all of a sudden I was like a week out or a couple weeks out from training camp, and I was like, oh, shit, I'm nowhere near those numbers. Probably time for me exactly. to let this thing go, you know, and I couldn't get back to the level, which is – that. I so agree. There's what coaches have got to realize. There's an optimal level, and you need to know that as coaches is, like, what's optimal. And then, you know, anything past that, you know, you're not going to get any more – it's not going to make him any faster. It's not going to make him any better on the field. It's not going to, you know, make him safer. So all you're doing now is, like, uh, the the risk doesn't – outweigh the reward, you know, so like, you know, don't do it, you know, like, I've never maxed him on clean, he's done a 340 clean, I don't go any heavier because I just, he's a, he's in high school, you know, like, there's going to be plenty of time, so I just, I'm just trying to make him healthy, you know, do well, and we did it, and so, that, well, that's what I'm. What, uh, there, I think it was either Zadiskorsky's book or uh, uh, Super Training, but there was an analogy in there about uh, shot putters. And they, they, they basically came to the conclusion that a 200-kilo bench was most optimal for those guys showing an 18-pound shot. And the amount of time and effort and work and loss of flexibility and strength and all the extra effort that they put to get those guys up to, like, a 500-pound bench, a 235-kilo bench, uh, actually 
deterred from their ability to accelerate, and they actually threw worse. So it was it was figured out that for the 18-pound shot, that about a 200-kilo, 440-pound bench was most optimal in terms of like rate of force development, power, and speed, and then you know all these kind of key factors. And I remember reading that and realizing like, oh shit, like that applies at least in football. That applied universal to what I did, uh, you know, and the, the the time and work that it took me to push my squat up. Because I mean, I, I did it I, when I was early in my career. I, I had this idea that I was gonna. I think I benched like 525 for a triple. And uh, I remember, like, yeah, I fucking hit that number. And then I, I tell these guys a story. I went out to go play that day. And as I got down to my stance, I took a step. And uh, I had to gain too much weight to do it. And this guy ran around me. And I felt like a, like a planet. And he was, like, orbiting me. That's how fast he was moving around me. And I, like, had this fucking realization that when I was too big and the time that it took me to do that kind of fucked me over a little bit. So I what I do, I dieted down, lost a little bit of strength, and ended up playing at a higher level. So Much it's – uh, yeah. So you, you said you, uh, you you had another story, uh, a better so, one? So, yeah, this is for all the strength coaches. Okay, in my whole career as a coach, and, like, it's about – spans about 20 years now, there is one story that, like, stands out as, like, why I do what I do. And there was a kid, Landon Harris, who um, wanted to play college basketball. Um, it's a Division One school here in North Carolina, High Point University. I don't know if you guys even heard of it, but um, he wanted to play there. So – his freshman year, um, he trained with me just on conditioning, but he let somebody else, I guess, do his strength work. And then, anyway, long story short, he didn't make the team. And so um, he came back to me, and he's like, hey, will you help me for the whole year get ready for this next trial? So I busted this kid's ass. And, like, for a whole year, you know, we got him fast and mobile and strong and the most conditioned – I've ever gotten any human being in my life. This guy was so ready. And then uh, they got a new coaching staff, and they didn't give him a chance. And so he trained the whole year and didn't get a chance. So he calls me, and here's, a, you know, at this point, a 19-year-old kid, and he's crying. He's like, hey, man, they're not even going to give me a chance. And I said, all right. I said, all right, man, here's what you do. You can quit now. And, like, most people would be like, you've done everything you can do, and that's no problem. Or you can say, hey, I'm never going to quit now or ever in my whole life, and um, I'm going to find a way to get a tryout next year and make this team. I said, you decide what you want to do. Call me back. So, anyway, he calls me back, and he's like, let's do it. He's like, um, he said, if nothing else, it's a, it's a good story. So, we make a plan not only for his strength and conditioning and all that. We already had that in place. We made a plan to market him. So we took all these crazy videos uh, of his training, of him playing basketball, of the way he could jump, the way he could shoot. Uh, we sent the coach, the head coach, a DVD. And then I called and emailed and literally begged the head coach for just five minutes for, let, for me to come talk to this coach. So anyway, this coach, Coach Cherry, says, all right, I'll give you five minutes. I go there. I plead his case. I said, all I want for you to do is to give this kid a tryout. And I told him the story. I said, this is the third year he's tried. So just give him a tryout. If he doesn't make it, he can at least end this whole, you know, goal of his and move on. So anyway, long story short, he gave him a tryout. And not only did he get a tryout, but he made the team. Not only did he make the team, he got a scholarship at High Point University. And I got a thank you note from the coach for begging him to talk to me. But it, it was the best story ever.
Nice. Yeah, that's legit. I mean, how many how many strength coaches you know that we've tried to make better coaches would even go that far? Well, for their uh, fucking athlete, you know that's. You know what? And, uh, I think like um, uh, you know, there's you know, Dan, Dan Coyle wrote a you know book called The Talent Code, and he talked about like deep practice. And I remember I, I did a speaking gig for Naval Special Warfare with uh, Dan Coyle, and like you know, we had a pretty awesome conversation. But I remember like leaving that conversation that there's like a, kind of like a deeper understanding. Uh, not only deep practice, but like a deeper understanding of like, you know, understanding like a, a greater position within the whole thing. And I think people are so, you know, superficial in what they look at. And that's why it's so easy just to kind of revert to the numbers. Oh, great. Okay. You squatted that 500 for five reps. Great. Okay. That's where you are today. Instead of looking at it and being like, okay, what's the deeper meaning of this? Uh, you know, did he do it the way I wanted? What was the back angle? You know, was he uh, moving the bar in terms of the compensatory acceleration point in meters per second? Like understanding kind of the global effect and how it how it appeals, and then also looking at this athlete as a person and being like, here's his goal. He trained his whole uh, life for this, and you know, just for the mere fact of a coaching change, we're not gonna, you know, we're just not gonna take no for an answer. We're gonna, you know, work harder, get this thing in, yeah. and, and to the point where he's like, dude, coach, I need your help, and you're like, well, fuck, man. I went on this journey with you, and your failure is my failure, and I don't want to fail, so let's do this together. And I think you meet coaches along the way that have that kind of symbiotic, um, deeper connection or deeper meaning and understanding of their athletes. And, you know, those are the people that, uh, you know, you have a, a guy go out and set a world record, went out gold medal, and he turns and runs to his coach and, you know, fucking like a parent almost, like, you yeah. know, with your kids. Um, you know, or you have other athletes that, you know, the first thing they do is they get any success and they instantly shit on their coach. And to me, uh, like, I could never fucking figure that out. Like, um, you know, like, I, it seems like it's very unfad now for people to shit talk Westside or be like, oh, you know, Louis Simmons is a fucking quack. He doesn't know what he's doing and this and this. And my thing is, like, you know, uh, you might not uh, appreciate the method or you might not have learned as much, you know, that that guy that wrote that article who was an intern of Louis that we read recently. Um, you know, at the end of the day, like, have respect for what that man did and have respect for, you know, the fact that he's influenced so many people. Yeah. And I think people are yeah, so no quick doubt. to fucking, like, kick everybody in the teeth and be like, oh, well, you know what? Uh, my deadlift didn't go up, so that guy's a fucking hack. He doesn't know what he's doing. And being like, oh, okay, well, you know, like, take a fucking step back, pull your fucking head out of your ass mm -hmm. and start understanding the fucking position of people. And more importantly, like respect the people that have gone in for you. And, you know, the fact that this guy went in and, you know, I, I remember sitting with Louie and him, you know, explaining, you know, his method and where it came from and how he did it. And I thought to myself, this is some beautiful mind shit. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make a lot of fucking sense. Um, you know, if you look at it from like kind of an idea, but in the context in which it's worked, and I asked Louie, well, what about this? What about this? And you kind of start, going and he makes kind of uh, changes based on need, like, oh, you're a football player, I want you to do this and this. I mean, the guy's such a wealth of information, yeah. but it, uh, um, you know, it kind of fucking kills me a little bit where, you know, people are so quick to fuck it. But it's, it's the internet age where it's like, fuck you. It's like Dr. Dre, man. He invented uh, this gangster yeah, shit. Yeah. No, that was Ice Cube. That, that, was, that was Ice Cube. Yeah. Ice Cube. <laughs> I invented this gangster shit and this is the motherfucking thanks I get. Yeah. No, so. you know, man, the people hating on Louis Simmons, you know, if, if you really listen to that guy and research that guy and you didn't use something he talked about to get stronger maybe you suck you know you're... Oh, uh, you know, I, that is uh that is a home run and i remember like talking like it, it was so hilarious i remember talking with louie about it like we were rapping about training football players and i was like well louie would you do max effort and dynamic like as you do it and he'd be like no i wouldn't do it and i'm like why he's like well i i would add more rep maxes 
And so I was like, so Rhett Maxis? He's like, yeah, Rhett Maxis. But, you know, then we talked about the speed work, and he's like, you know, uh, you know, for the conditioning, and he kind of like, there, there was so much gold in terms of just uh, hanging out with them, like going to meals. Like I think we ate like 17 meals in a, in a row with Louie. Like it was like breakfast, lunch, and dinner for fucking a week or two weeks. And uh, like just the information and like to the point where like I was, I, I brought a guy with me, Nate, and I, I had him bring a fucking pad of pencil and paper. And I was like, write down everything he says. And we'd go in the car and I'd like, read it back. And he's like, honestly, dude, I don't even, I, I can't. My pencil like, melted. Like, yeah, he's like, he's like, dude, is, is anybody knows Louis just talks? But uh, it just just the amount of knowledge. I mean, there there were so many things that like um, like I remember Louis and I were rapping, and, and I was like, well, like, what do you think for back health and back strength? And he's like, oh, you know, reverse hypers. He's talking about the volume, and he's like, you know, we found this really interesting thing that we got from the fins was the sled dragging, and he's like, you know, we found that dragging a sled is great for this, and he talked about it, and then like fast forward like five years, we're on a podcast with uh, Stu McGill. And I asked him, like, what's the single best thing you can do to uh, ensure back health and make sure your athletes stay strong and kind of what this? He's like, drag a sled. I'm like, you mean like a, a sled? Like, well, yeah. He's like, yeah, a toe sled. And he went into all the mechanics. And I was, it was so interesting that two people from some, come, you know, Stu obviously, you know, a degree just working with nothing but back injury and Louie working in terms of his lab with, uh, you know, which is purely observational. You know, even yeah. though he has people gone and, you know, done studies. But what's amazing about Lou is people will do studies, and the studies will come out is exactly as Louie knew them well based off of his fucking power of observation and having seen thousands of athletes do this stuff. And no I just doubt, remember, man. you know, just so the, just that little analogy, I was like, you know what, this fucking – so, I mean, if I ever get stuck or I have a question, I usually call up Louie, and, and he'll usually give me an idea or send a book or, you know, do this, hey, try this, try this, and uh, it's always gold. So, yeah, I, I – I, I get defensive when people fucking badmouth him. Me too. He's, I mean, he's always helped me. I remember um, I was at a meet to see this was like 2003, and uh, I, I got beat. But it was like it was pretty obvious that they were there was a group. Oh man, I, I just thought you some of y'all are from Chicago, but the, the Ernie France crew, were, they were definitely getting yeah, they were getting a few calls, <laughs> and um, and I, and I was like so mad. And Louis Simmons said, "Look, man, he's like." Why don't you just get way stronger and squat way deeper, and then you don't got to worry about it? And I'm like, well, that makes sense. So then the next year, <laughs> yeah, I was like, the next year I just came back and you know easily beat them all. And but it was just Louis calmed me. He was always there because if you if you fast forward a year later, when I broke my first time all um, my first all time world record, he's standing right behind me. And like you know, I remember when the video came out, like I didn't even realize that he was right there, you know, watching me. Anyway. I love the guy. Like, I would never say anything bad. Do I agree with everything he says? No, but I don't agree with anybody, like, everything yeah. anybody says, you know, so. You can you know, there's, there's a, uh, well, go ahead. I, I, I think there's a rule where if uh, if you're at a powerlifting meet and Louie calls you up, the judges won't fucking red light you. Is that it? Uh, yeah, like, I, I remember one, <laughs> one of the guys was like, uh, it was pretty funny. He's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I kept getting some fucking bad calls. And so I asked Lou, hey, Lou, call me up. And so Louie went up there and, you know, him, back, 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 ah! And he screamed it up. He's like, man, I fucking blasted that thing up. And uh, he goes, then I looked over and it was fucking three, three, three good lights. And he's like, man, he's like, I, the, the judge probably didn't want to have fucking Louie go sideways on him. So he's like, that was a secret to his deal. You got to have Louie call you up. I was like, I oh, mean, I love it. Say what you want, but he is still the grand, the granddaddy of powerlifting, man. Like, I mean, they, uh, at least 
60% of the people doing powerlifting right now would never have heard about it if it wasn't for that guy. So you can hate on him all you like, but until you're able to influence 60% of the sport to do it, then you got to shut your mouth. You know? Well, I mean, we, we were at uh, the Elite FTS deal um, with uh, that Mark Watts put off for strength coaches, and um, the head guy for, fuck, uh, I can't remember his name, for, for the Arizona Cardinals, Cardinals which is... Yeah, yeah, Buddy Morris basically gets up and says, you know, I was a college strength coach. I did this and this and, you know, had this massive pedigree. And he uh, takes a trip out to Westside and uh, basically comes home after listening to Louis speak and present and, you know, talk about his case and shit canned everything that he knew and implemented a pure Westside program and, uh, you know, mixed with uh, Charlie France kind of speed stuff, you know, where, you know, basically yeah. you don't run in the no man's land, which is 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 interesting and uh, for us because uh, you know as you know most people their strength is really built in that 75 to 85 to 90 percent and uh, mm-hmm. you know but yet running like for Charlie Francis and for those you know fucking fast guys uh, if you run in that no man's land you're fucking slow so it was yeah. it, pretty pretty interesting that he uh, and he got up and gave a pretty solid presentation about how he kind of melted these two uh, you know, programs, but I mean, there's a guy who's a uh, professional strength coach, worked with, you know, hundreds of NFL players and was one of, considered yeah. one of the top guys in the game that, you know, went to, a, you know, hung with Lou and fucking threw it out. And so, uh, you know, you got to have a little bit of, uh, you know, respect and realize like, fuck man, that's pretty solid. If, uh, you know, a guy of this caliber will understand it. I mean, you know, you think about how many people have used some version of Louie's program, whether or not they fucking repackage it, rename it or do whatever. Uh, you know, the idea of, hey, I want to lift heavy and I want to move the weight as fast as possible. Fucking, that's great carryover. Well, you look at when Jared Allen goes to Carolina, like, um, you know, Joe Ken has the tier system, but you will definitely see within the tier system a tons of West Side influence. And, like, you know, arguably, Joe Ken is the best, you know, uh, NFL strength coach in the country or in the world, I guess you would say. But And he is influenced majorly by Louie. And he, lo- he taught him. He loves Louis Simmons, and um, he loves the ten, the Tindo units, all that stuff. But he is West Side big time. Sure. You know, yeah. Travis, what would you like if you had to label like the West Side system? How would you do that? Just like in your opinion, you know, John would have his own opinion of it, but uh, you know, I kind of feel like some people just, you know, the general population probably thinks the West Side system is just max effort, dynamic effort, repetition method. And, and I think they could assume, they could easily assume that every power lifter at Louis gym right now would go in and do those exact same things. And uh, that's a it's false assumption, true. isn't it? Yeah. Could you talk a little yeah. bit about that? Here's what, here's what you can guarantee the West Side method is. is like, I'm not saying this is all of it, but I'm saying these are guarantees, is that there will be um, the conjugate method will be um, – will be there, meaning they will use lots of variations, you know, different bars, you know, um, different, you know, bands, chains, you know, um, they'll be taking the, the, the bench, the squat, the deadlift, and they'll be doing lots of variations. You know, that will be, will be present. Um, the other thing that will be present will be an unbelievable culture. When you go there, like, you know, people are not there to be average. People are there to be the best in the world. So that one method, you know, having a culture that um, refuses anything other than greatness, that is huge. And that's what's not talked about enough. And that's what, you know, at my gym, that's exactly the same culture that we're going for. And then three will be 
they will, Louis Simmons will find your weakness, will target it, and bring it up. And then, therefore, we all know that, like, if you have weak hamstrings or you have weak whatever, if you bring that up, guess what? You just got stronger. So those three things are guaranteed present. I think uh, you hit on something pretty good about the environment. Um, and I, I, you know, somebody asked me once, and they were like, "Oh, I, I do uh, Westside," and I was like, "Oh, really? Like, uh, like what do you mean?" And they're like, "Oh, this." I'm like, you know, uh, Westside as you know the environment, the training, and like what happens there is very different than what you see in the book or what you think you're doing. So I'm like, I, absolutely. You know, and, and for me, I'm like, uh, so you're doing the Westside spreadsheet. Well, you're doing the method, but in terms of like, if you want to do that training. You need to go there and actually see that. I remember, uh, you know, we, we fucking went to train and I looked down and there was a fucking pool of blood on the on the uh, on the platform in the squat rack. And uh, yeah. you know, you know, earlier some guys had fucking nose had exploded and literally like, just don't step in that. I'm like, all right, well, there's a big pool of blood. I'm just gonna fucking keep going. Like, mm-hmm. like it is a, uh, you know, I mean, it it reminded me of either a prison yard or uh, an NFL weight room. Uh, and kind of a mix of the two, but it's uh, it's a lot of big, strong fucking dudes who are highly aggressive, pissed off, competitive, and uh, it's really a place that you know doesn't cultivate or really accept weakness. So the whole like, yeah, yeah I'm not really feeling it today. I think I'm just gonna do some cardio. Doesn't fucking suffice. And those guys. <laughs> I mean, uh, but but I mean that's the culture that they live in. I mean, uh, we've had Tom Inkledon on the podcast, and Tom used to train with uh, Dave Tate and those guys, and he there was a story about a guy getting in a car wreck. And he was going to be late. He fucking literally just left the car and walked yeah, to the gym. Yeah, I remember hearing this. Yeah, yeah I yeah. mean, because he because like those guys weren't fucking late. Like the the amount of abuse that they would take and like punishment for being late. The guy fucking wrecked his car and just left it. it was like all yeah. fucking worried about the workout. Yeah, when you go there, dude, you have totally sold out. Like your soul now belongs to Louis Simmons, and your everything in life it means you're going to be the best power lifter that the world has ever heard of and like or you're gonna die trying and that's just the way you know that's what's up you know so i mean what, uh, what do you think about this uh, uh about the big switch now like i mean about five or six seven years ago it was kind of geared power lifting and now it's like you got like fucking these guys that are basically raw lifters that are squatting and doing numbers that are you know before like we're the, only reserved bridges Right. Well, oh my God, dude! I just watched him squat like 515 for a double, or that Russian cat squatted what like uh, 1040, 1060, and like yeah. paused in the hole with it. And what's crazy is these guys are hitting numbers in the squat and deadlift that are, you know, like, like you know, multiply gear lifter numbers. And uh, you know, the only thing you'll never see is you're probably never going to see a guy bench fucking a thousand pounds raw. But I mean, a 660. I mean, Eric Spato what 700 plus pounds. So uh, where do you think like the big switch came, and more importantly? What do you think is driving it? You know, um, I, I I don't know how it happened. All I can just say is I'm glad it, it did. You know, uh, it got carried away. It's just, it, you know, if if we continue down the gear path, it's just going to be more and more, you know, and eventually, as we all know, somebody is going to have to die because you just, you've just got more weight on someone's back than a human body is capable of holding. And, like, you know, if you need, like, a, you know, that, canvas suit just to be able to squat something like you just gotta ask yourself why are you doing that I, I love the fact that it's um turned around to to raw i think you have to give people like uh, you know chad smith and <clears throat> brandon lily and um you know dan green guys like the brand you know the lily bridges you got to give them credit for you know uh, getting people pumped about it and like now with social media people understand that better you know like you get the 
you know, the 20 year old dude who's in college who gets on, flips on the internet and he sees, you know, Dave Hoff, who I love, but you see him in all this gear and this monolift and, you know, he, he doesn't break parallel. You're like, what is that? What is, what's, what is that? But then you see Eric Lillybridge take a thousand pounds, walk it out just like you do at your recreational gym and squat super low just like you do at your recreational gym you relate and so it's easier for people to understand that and grasp that and um for the sport of powerlifting to grow that's just the way it has to go you know well i, I uh, not to cut you off but uh, i don't know if you've been to a recreational gym lately but i haven't seen anybody squat anything near fucking parallel we uh <laughs> good point we did, good point. Uh, we did a bodybuilding program. I think program. like within our world. Yeah, oh, okay, within, Not okay. Uh, yeah, assuming what, what we see. But yeah, we, we did a, uh, uh, this kind of bodybuilding uh, inspired program. And so we had to go join some fucking local gym up the Get street. Get those leg that, extensions. Yeah, that, that had like some cables and some other, some machines. Because, you know, our gym is just basically fucking barbells. And uh, we go in there and our girls, uh, the girls that were training us, with us were squatting deeper and better and heavier than yeah. every fucking dude we saw in there, mm -hmm. so much so that like dudes are coming over there and asking them for coaching. Or like, and, hey, and, you're not supposed to squat yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're not supposed to squat that deep. It's bad for your knees. Let me show you how to do it. And like these, and uh, our girls are like, hey, go fuck yourself. Dude, you don't even have 225 on the bar, and I'm fucking half your size, and I'm fucking yeah, repping out to you know uh, 100 plus kilos. But uh, yeah, it's pretty funny. Like watching these people do it, I'm like, what are they doing? Is is, is, is that a new movement? Like, what is that? I don't even know what the fuck that is. Because that's my fucking squat. I was just, my wife and I joined, believe it or not, like a local bodybuilding gym just so we could like, you know, maybe two or three times a week, we could just train alone, the two of us, something we could do together. And, you know, I, I um, now I'm getting ready for this five lift meet. I'm doing like two sessions a day sometimes. So I do like, you know, maybe my squat in the morning with her or, or bench press in the morning with her. And then I'll go do something like snatch cleaner in the evening. But anyway, we're at this gym, this bodybuilding gym, and she sees me staring at these two guys squatting and like literally i think i just got captured by them for like 15 minutes in awe because it had been so long since i watched such shitty squatting that i sit there staring for 15 minutes with my mouth open and she said babe please don't say anything i'm like oh i, I was way past saying anything i was just disgusted i was like I, I just wanted to like throw up because it was so bad it was i just didn't know people still squatted that high and that poorly but uh, I know exactly what you're talking about in the bodybuilding gym. Yeah, you're right. I think that should be a challenge to any, to any of the listeners uh, like that have a bitchin' garage gym or go to like a fucking really bitchin' gym like you know we, we have on either end of the podcast here is just remember – you want to remember where your roots are? Go fucking join the export or the 24-hour fitness oh. and go work out there for a fucking month. And then yeah. like – don't bitch about your gym anymore, especially if you're like a, a member at a CrossFit gym, and because CrossFit well, gym members always bitch about something. Go well, fucking. Well, no, no, I mean, but 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 here's my thing: if you like, you know, if, if you're involved in the internet at all, all they do is like <laughs> people fucking talk about how, what shitty technique they see at CrossFit gyms, and like I fucking seen, a, I, I've seen more shit at CrossFit gyms than I was like, holy fuck, the fact that like I, I like I have this theory that's basically like survival. Should be your number one priority in most things. Oh, like, even oh, wait over numbers. Well, no, no, because no, I'm gonna put but, but like, if if I fucking get in my Nissan Sentra, I'm not gonna hook up nitrous to my Nissan Sentra and try to ride 200 miles an hour down fucking 17th Street. You know, like that's just lack of survival. Because you're not a precision driver. Yeah. Right? You gotta be a precision <laughs> oh, yeah, driver. But like, I, I 
honestly, like, like there's this idea where I see more shit in CrossFit gyms where I don't think people have the whole survival instinct. Uh-huh. Like, you know, like, hey, I'm going to have 400 pounds on my back, and then as I'm going up, I can't get it. So I'm going to duck my head and fucking ditch it over my head. Like, that yeah. shit blew my mind. But, yeah. um, so, like, we've seen some shit. But then I like people rip on it, and then we go to the to the global gym, and See, way worse, way worse, way fucking worse. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah. what the fuck? I was like, wait, well, you know, and, and like like that that tripped us out like to the point where uh, these guys were out of town, and I went over to the bodybuilder gym the other day because I forgot to cancel my membership, so I went in there just to go work out. And they were like, hey man, I haven't seen you in a while. And of course, all the bros want to come over and bro out with you. Uh, <laughs> so the guy's like, where you been? I'm like, uh, actually, I, I couldn't take it anymore. I had to like go back to our own gym. And they're like, what do you mean you couldn't take it? I'm like. The amount of fucking shittiness and the amount of really just bad technique and just all-out bullshit that I saw was uh, negatively affecting my training, so I have to, like, yeah. go and, like, cleanse. Well, it's, it's training hospice. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and, and like, like, the look on the guy's face that I sent it to, who was uh, kind of like the head bro, was, like, he kind of wanted to cry a little bit. I'm like, dude, you know what I'm talking about. He's like, I, I do. And he's like, I, I, I just kind of talked about Yeah, <laughs> I, I, so I refer to him as, as, like, the head bro. And then there's, like, the bra, the head bra. Like, everybody's bro. And I'm like, I'm not your fucking bro, dude. Bro, hey, bro, what's up, bro, bro, bro? I'm like, fuck off, bro. I don't even know you, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm like, yeah, I have a brother, and you're not it. Yeah, so it's like the Southern, it's a Southern California bro that's like, bro. No, but I bro. think there's like, there's like, bro. No, but there's like an uh, internet bros, like, referred, like, there's like a whole uh, internet thing. We could probably find it on some page about, like, the bro, like, like you're good bro. The bro code. Like, you're, you're good bro. What the fuck does that mean? Well, here's the thing. There's like if you if you see shitty squatting like that in a in a global gym, that's almost to be expected from like a, a you know 150 160 pound dude or whatever. But there was a video that was put out of of Phil Heath, Phil Heath, right? That's the current Mr. Olympia. Yeah. He was doing like I don't know like 20 20 RMs back squat, and he was he was like in that window of like. Almost full hip extension and just above parallel, and he and that's how he repped them out. And of course, I had to scroll down and see, you know, everybody's like, "That's not below parallel. This is shitty squatting." And then there's people that are like, "Well, he's trying to. It's time under tension. You know, he he's well, training differently." And yeah, dude, what, like I didn't know like, really what to what to justify. You know what well, I mean? He's fucking Phil Heath, right? I mean, he's the Mister. Well, there's like a whole like um and and I I kind of picked this up from some of the the high level bodybuilder guys. They do certain movements to like target certain parts. Like their idea of like, hey, I'm not gonna hit parallel, but I'm not gonna lock it out. I'm gonna stay like right in that fucking right. zone. What if that was blood. bad? Right. Remember oh the the Marco Ware uh video yeah, that was out there where he was it was like what is that a power clean and people shit all over him and I think it was Texas like yeah, but he's. He get he's a million you know he's a million dollars. Well, he, well he's not an Olympic lifter, and the fact that the dude was fucking basic upright rowing and using the fucking three fifty early, yeah, well, yeah, he fucking banged it out. It looked like dog shit. But at the end of the day, like, uh, you know, are we really paying Demarco Ware his ability to fucking power clean? No, we're paying that dude to rush the fucking passer rip and some heads off. yeah, and rip some heads. So like, you know, like, uh, and then you know, people could rip on Phil Heath, but uh, that dude steps on stage and wins the Olympia for a couple. Times and is fucking jacked beyond jacked. It's like you know, it's it's tough to argue with results. Whereas I look at the dude who's 165 pounds, barely squatting 135 with shitty technique. Uh, Completely different story. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. But, he's, but, but, but maybe Phil too, Heath wasn't. It wasn't like his his squat day. Maybe 
maybe well, was, he was getting specific, uh, right? And they just happened to catch it on camera. It was and a, posted. Uh, I think it was Frank Zane used to have, and I don't mean to cut anybody off, but I think Frank Zane used to say that squats below parallel would like uh, over or would thicken the waist. So like the guys that were already kind of blocky within mm. the waist did squat below parallel because like they, they felt that it would like thicken their abs or do too much to like block them out. But I think that might have been an old one. But I remember reading something about Frank Zane being like, yeah, you can't squat below parallel and thicken your waist. Mm-hmm. So I mean, all I know is this: is that if Phil Heath is winning, he, whatever he's doing is correct. You know, and like if someone, if, if, if someone is going to the Pro Bowl, whatever program they're doing is correct. You know, if someone, you know, wins the world championships in powerlifting, whatever they're doing is exactly right. So, you know. And that's, not, and that's a tricky part. Though. But I think that's also the tricky part about being a coach and dealing with an athlete whose end res- game is performance because it's working, but do you have the balls or is it even fucking worth it to try and tinker with it to make it better well, at that some, point. You somebody know what I mean? should have fucking helped RG3. I mean, you know, like, like I, I remember watching that kid. Like, they, the, the problem was he was such a gifted athlete that he was able to go out and play really well. All of a sudden you put him in an NFL situation where everybody's bigger and everybody's stronger and everybody's just as fast. And all of a sudden his also shitty parts mechanics, seems you know, yeah, I mean, his fucking valgus knee and all these fucking, you know, problems that instead of hand-jobbing him, his strength coach should have been like, I know you're the best in the world and you're fast and all these other things, but you have some really shitty mechanics that we have to clean up or they're going to come back to fucking haunt you, and here he is, NFL Rookie of the Year, and now he doesn't even fucking protect yeah, you. Yeah, but we also know that coaches didn't try to help him, and then that him as an athlete just didn't ignore him and walk away. Like, you talk about those guys who, when you were training with Raph, they'd walk in and after one day say this guy is a quack, even though no, no. You, you saw value. Well, uh, we had, um, uh, I remember probably, and I, I, I fucking told you guys the story, so I don't want you to think I have Alzheimer's and I repeat shit. But uh, I remember we were training, Rafael Ruiz was my strength coach, and we had a group of about 30 guys down in Tampa, Florida, where we were training the offseason. It was a super competitive group. Uh, one of the guys that was training with us showed up with um, uh, the fucking guy from, uh, he was a big, uh, David Boston, who was the big receiver out of Ohio State. And David Boston came in the league, he was a first rounder, and then he got mixed up with Charles Palkin and was like, came back at like 270. I totally uh, remember. And, I remember 100% yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. So so he walks in, and this dude, I mean, this guy must have 32-inch, 36-inch quads, I and mean, fucking chest, abs, guns. He's no fucking ass, no hamstrings, no no nothing. We, he starts training with us, and uh, he quit out on the workout and couldn't fucking do anything within probably 20, 30 minutes. And he was like, oh, this is, well, he couldn't change direction. He couldn't fucking roll. He couldn't do any of Roth's training. He couldn't do, like, weighted pull-ups. He couldn't do any of the managers. I mean, couldn't do anything. And I remember Roth like kind of fucking giving him the Spock eyebrow and being like, "What the fuck have you been doing for your training?" Because the guy had basically got into Palkin, you know, he was in Palkin's book, and Palkin got all the time under tension and uh, did all the bodybuilding shit with him. And uh, the guy ends up fucking going out, and I think he had multiple ruptured patellar tendons. I mean, had all these fucking problems. And I remember before that season, Roth just fucking shaking his head and being like, "This dude is basically he didn't study for the test. He didn't fucking." He, he didn't do anything he needed to do, right. and uh, you know, and the guy was like, "Oh, this is you know, this is ball bullshit." And the guy goes out and fucking running. It was a pretty horrific injury. I want to say like ruptured knee, ruptured Achilles, ACLs. I mean, that's some pretty bad shit. But it was something where the fact that he had been a you know 190, 200 pound guy at most, and all of a sudden he puts on fucking 60 pounds of muscle, which you know, I mean, you can say what you want about that, but I mean, per- completely 
unprepared to do his job, which he wasn't a fucking rush end. He was a fucking receiver for Ohio State. He was supposed to be a, a you know a, a guy that can run a go route, not a big fucking you know bigger than the tight end guy. And, That's uh, yeah. You know. So uh, evidently he didn't do the job that he needed to do, yeah. and you know he let a, a strength coach fucking romance him with some bullshit, and end of end of individually or uh, eventually ended up playing him out of the league. I mean, so in terms of that, you know, you look at a coach, and that was my first experience with Charles Balkin stuff, and ever since then I've kept that in my mind. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, when we get into that time under tension bullshit, I'm like, dude, the only the only time under tension I want is when I can move the weight as fast as I can because, you know, what slow reps do? Yeah. Make me fucking slow. It's, I'm going to shift, shift gears a little bit uh, just get because we're coming up on that hour. I do want to get uh, end on a positive note. Um, so Travis, <laughs> What's what's going on with your junior athletes? Denny was filling us in before the show that uh, you've got a crew of kids who are crushing it right now. So why don't you fill us in on that? I, I would like to think that I have the, the best juniors in the country. I, I, I can't see another junior team even coming close to us. You know, we got um, gosh, Dylan Cooper, uh, who will be somewhere between a 94 and a 105. And, you know, we're expecting him to snatch 150 kilos, what, 330 pounds for you guys are kilo illiterate. But... And uh, he's already cleaned 190 kilos, and he's 18, by the way. So he's got two more uh, junior teams to make, but he's already uh, cleaned 190. And so, um, you know, if he's hitting 150, 190, you know, as a junior, like in in no time within the next four years, he's he's I can't imagine what he's gonna be doing. And then, but Nathan Damron, who's 19, um, has got a really good shot of possibly winning the American Open this year. And who knows, you know, uh, he should get a shot at the Olympic trials for next year. But this kid is already, um, see, he has snatched 147 as an 85. He weighs 187. And uh, he's he has clean and jerked 185 kilos, you know, as an 85. And uh, 19 years old, I mean, that kid is going to be hard to beat. Um, you know, we uh those two are, are my leaders. There's a whole group of them, though, that are just, like, killing it right now. But um, I'm excited. It's a good culture. That's the thing. Is that those kids just come in every day and battle. I mean battle every day. So I, I'm lucky as a coach. What about the girl in Canada? Weren't you saying something about your girl? Uh, oh, yeah. Lifter? Yeah. Yeah, so um, Lacey Vandermill, she uh, – she made the world. She actually qualified for the world championship. So she's my first um, online. She's she's on my online team. She's my first online team member to make the world championships. You know, both Dylan and Nathan made the junior world team, but uh, she is my first one to make the the senior world championship. So I'll be going to Houston to hopefully uh, you know watch her kill it. But she's amazing. She is a 58 kilo lifter. Um, she is snatched. Golly now. Let me get it straight. 93 kilos, so she's already done 200 and let's see, two, 204 pounds, um, weighing 128 some, 120 some pounds, and she's clean and jerked. Uh, I think 105, so that's 231, and she, she's just a freak. So, uh, and she's only here's the killer, guys. She's only one year into the sport, so Damn. I know, man. I mean, I got, it could go on and on. A D, you know. Um, Zucker that I coached. I mean, she's amazing. I mean, I'm just blessed. I mean, plus the cool thing is I've only really been doing full-time weightlifting coaching for about two and a half years. So I'm excited to have so many great athletes. So Travis, let me ask you this, and this isn't meant to be like a, a knock or a bash, but I mean, these kids are 
seem like they're extremely powerful and capable and coachable athletes. Why aren't they playing field sports? Like what, what brought them into to weightlifting? Was it by chance or how'd they find you? No, they just, they, they had already chosen weightlifting. So like Nathan moved from um, Kansas, like St. Louis area to, to work with me. Nathan, I mean, uh, Dylan was living in Raleigh. And so he trained with me on and off all through high school, but they just didn't, you know, uh, now believe me, as a football guy, I've already been over the fact that how well I think they could do in football, but it's just they choose the sport of weightlifting. And so, you know, I'm not I, – here's what I do, guys. I, my goal and my job as a strength coach is to take whatever your goals and your dreams are and make them a reality, not to make you do what my goals and dreams are for you. Sure, so, sure. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, – yeah. both of those dudes could do really well in Division One football. I have no doubts, but they love weightlifting. So, yeah, um, I didn't. I just didn't know if maybe there was a story behind it. John, I think maybe you were telling me like, uh, you know, uh, mom wouldn't sign the permission slip or something. Oh like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. There was um, that uh, that kid down south who uh, who was the junior who had those. Um, I think he's out of Savannah. Uh, that real oh, strong, like, like, that yeah, like fifteen year old. Um, what was his name? That like had like the three seventy five clean. I'm totally. Hold on, you totally made me blank out. Yeah, C.J. Cummings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. So uh, everybody was like, oh, my God, this, you know, this kid's so strong, you know, like, uh, you know, like 15 years old. I mean, this kid has the world in front of him in terms of being an Olympic weightlifter. And I think like they like uh, I think Luke or somebody was like, how come that kid's not playing football? And I was like, oh, maybe his mom didn't sign up for mission slip yeah. or something. And coincidentally, you know? I met a kid uh, back when I was in Chicago for a wedding uh, who's at, goes to Lewis University. He's some big time golfer. Yeah. And uh, same thing. He's just like, he's like, I'll play. I'm like, how'd you get into golf? He's like, I want to play football. I want to play basketball. I want to play all the, you know, what he said. He's like, real sports. He's like, I'm in men's leagues now. But my mom would not sign the permission slip. She wouldn't <laughs> let me. You know, I don't know what it was. I think maybe uh, a brother or, you know, their dad was played football and got banged up or something. But yeah, I mean that's uh that's kind of a weird deal. Like um and, you know I I I just went to uh Kyle Turley's 40th birthday the other night and I got to see a bunch of guys I played with and a bunch of ex NFL players that I worked with and just good friends, and it was like it's always the question like would you let your son play, mm -hmm. and like it's kind of like um uh, you know there, there's kind of a feeling like well I'd let him play in this NFL I wouldn't let him play in the NFL we played in which is <laughs> such a different league now than when we played even a couple of years ago. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the age-old question, like having, like knowing what we know and, and um, you know, the hits and the problems and all these other key factors, you know, could you willingly send your son out to go do that? And, uh, you know, guys go back and forth and, you know, whether or not I ever have to make the decision or not. But, uh, you know, my thought is, like, I had, um, it was probably one of the most enriching experiences and one of the most fun things I ever got to do in my life. And I would never want to rob anybody of that. But also, you know, I mean, there's a fucking heavy toll to be played for it. You gotta be willing to sacrifice your body on that altar if you want to, but um, yeah, it's kind of something you go go back and forth to. So I know, I know. With I have a, a one-year-old, and he turns one actually on Thursday. But you know, I think about that a lot. You know, playing football. Like, what am I gonna do? His mom is obviously like, no, let him play basketball. I'm like, I doubt any of my sons are gonna play basketball. <laughs> but but you know, um, you know, I would definitely let him, but I would just prepare him for what. You know, is you know, in store for him and what it's going to be like. And but I agree with you, man. Like so, some of my best moments of my whole entire life were spent playing football. So like, mm -hmm. well, I never deny. I think well, you can and, give and a little he, more guidance. Like you know, well, I, I was self-taught, and 
and uh, like started using my face and head as a weapon. I well, think that would be the, like a because a, your head and your hands are your best weapons in football. <laughs> like I, you know, this whole thing. Like I remember uh, recently, I got a phone call from a, a guy who was like, "Hey, would you mind coming out and uh, working with our offensive line?" With like a high, private high school, he was trying to get me to go out there and, and coach for him. And my only comment was. Um, the skill set that I developed and allowed me to be successful in the NFL isn't a skill set that you're going to want to teach your kids, and more importantly, that I'm going to want to teach them. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, the way that we were taught to play and what I cultivated was, uh, you know, this fucking, we used to joke and call it either a prefontaine or like the fucking Tyson method where it was like, I'm going to abuse this person so bad that they're going to give up and I'm going to use my head to fucking yeah. go through theirs and I'm going to beat their body up and eventually I'm going to hit you enough times to where you quit. And if you don't, yeah. then we're in fucking, then we're in store for a heavyweight fight. And uh, like that's not a style of play that uh, I would necessarily want to teach anybody, or I would mm-hmm. want to like show somebody how to play that game because um, the skill set I had was very unique to me. And um, they're just that, that's not a it, it's not something that's uh, needed or wanted these days. So I just kind of declined on it. And I'm like, you know, we'll, we'll do it from the other side and help you with the strength conditioning. But yeah. uh, it's um, but you know, and Travis, you, you played as well, so it's kind of this thing where um, everything, like all, some of my best moments, but all the good things that I learned in this world, like were you know obviously come from your your family and how you kind of grow up, but like were reinforced in some of the best lessons I ever learned were playing football, and um, no, you no. know, I, you know, I, I can think back. I mean, you guys hear me all the time. You guys will ask me a question, I'll be like. All right. What did my college football coach say? Or more importantly, like, what did I learn? It's just, it's just by being around the people and playing in that environment, and like, you know, all these key factors are just, you know, help shape a lot of things and allows you to have a greater perspective. So I, um, yeah, I don't know if I'd want to deny my kid that, but in the same right, it's fucking hard, man. You watch him go out and take those hits, and you're like, ooh. But you know, I, I also think, yeah, I mean, it, it, like, I, I remember pretty early on there was a deal where uh, I realized that like. Every play, you're either the hammer or the nail, and as long as I'm the hammer more than the nail, I'll be I'll be okay. And I remember specifically the ones where I wasn't the fucking hammer and yeah. I was the nail. Those are the ones that hurt me. And um, yeah. you know, you like well, start I, kind of going back on this, and you're like, oh fuck. I know, you know, I know that the hardest hit I ever made playing football was I hit somebody, and I I mean I mean I killed them, but I got up to <laughs> I got up to celebrate, and then I fell down. Like I rocked myself. Like, I was so dizzy, I got up and was, like, cheering, and then I just, like, fell down because I didn't have my balance. My equilibrium had been thrown off so much. So, like, I still, I look back and think, oh, that's awesome. But now I think about my son doing that, I'm like, oh, that's not cool at all. But I don't oh, know. Yeah. I, uh, I remember one of the worst hits I took. Um, we had a, a play where our coach wanted us to basically reverse hit people, which is actually against the rules now. But, you know, uh, I'm playing tackle, three technique. You basically throw your head in front, and then you throw your back hip, and you basically roll them up, and, you know, it's, it's a block designed yeah. to basically fucking blow a knee out. So my coach fucking, we come out, he's like, hey, I want to run the outside play, and I want you to reverse hip this fucking guy. I want him out of the game. And I was like, oh, fuck, all right, here we go. So I throw my head in front, and the dude <laughs> literally had his outside knee, uh, his outside leg back. So when he came forward, he kneed me straight yeah. in the fucking side of the head. Yeah. And, uh... All I remember was throwing my head to this day, and I remember he need me, and I don't remember anything yeah. from the rest of the game. And I proceeded, <laughs> and, and I, I remember the next day in film, like, because I came out after, and I'm like, I, I didn't fucking know anything. Like, I was fucked up. And I remember the next day we were watching film, <laughs> and I played for a whole quarter after that play. I literally got up, went back to the huddle, fucking went out and played, and have no recollection of the game, nothing. How'd you, how'd you do? 
Uh, I played pretty well. <laughs> and, it's on uh, autopilot, and, and, well, it, well, and, and this is something. You rehearse the plays so many times. Mm-hmm. You're in these situations over so many years that, like, I couldn't have told you what my name was. I didn't know where I was. I don't even remember it. But I guarantee I didn't fucking lose an assignment, and I did not. I mean, cause, just because you're so used to, like, you know. Instinct, uh, wow. Well, in, in instinct, but it's also. Uh, Resorting um, to the level of your training. Yeah, I mean, that, that's all it is. I mean, we, you know, I work pretty extensively with the guys from Naval Special Warfare, and I remember uh, my buddy Dave made a good friend of our show and fellow power athlete made a comment once, and he said, you know, when light bullets start happening, grenades are going off, nobody ever avails themselves and becomes somebody that they weren't before that. Like, you're not all of a sudden the guy that you knew was a bitch all of a sudden is going to tear his shirt off and go charging over the hill like fucking Rambo. And he's yeah. like, nobody ever fucking play, you know, nobody ever rises to the occasion when shit happens. Everybody just falls down to exactly who you knew to be, who they are in their training. And yeah. uh, it was like one of those statements, and I was like, fuck, that's so true. And it's like, that's you know, so same true. with playing football. Like, we go out in these, like, fucking stressful situations and this, and I remember, like, looking to have to depend on a guy to fucking do something and being like, well, he didn't do it in practice. How the fuck are we going to get him to do it when the lights are on? Sure yeah. enough, the guy would go out there and shit the bed and being like, if, if you can't fucking, you know, and, and just so true, very few people have a rise to the occasion. You know, you just fall to yeah. level your training, and it's like, You're, all right, so exactly. what do you do? Just fucking ramp up the training and make the training fucking way worse, so by the time you get to the game, it looks like a fucking joyride. Mm-hmm. Agreed. You know, something about that CJ Cummings, just, you know, I know we're running short on time, but he actually was, like, considered one of the better football players in the state of South Carolina. And then he made the personal decision to just do weightlifting, which, you know, I don't really understand that. I don't know, but that's the decision he made. I guess, you know, he's probably going to make the Olympics as a 16-year-old next yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, represent your country versus represent your high school. I mean, shit, that's not – yeah, That's but easy yeah, but there's yeah. a lot of money to be left yeah. on the table. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I mean, think about this, and, and I, I said it earlier in the podcast. I mean, dude, I had good grades in high school, and I fucking got good SAT, and I had all that, and there was still no fucking way I was getting into Berkeley. Yeah, and I remember, dude, I sat next to the valedictorian at my high school, who in, in English class, who was fucking livid because Berkeley was their number one choice, and she's like, I fucking can't believe. I'm like, well, you should have fucking played football, bitch. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but you know what? I got a chance to go there. They paid for all my school. I was able to get fucking you know multiple degree and like uh, you know get out. And I got a, then I got to you know I I didn't know I was going to play in the NFL just because I didn't know anybody that, that played in the NFL. So who how the fuck am I going to do it? But uh, you know I was getting ready to go to law school and then I got you know sidetracked for a decade in the NFL and got a chance to do a super cool job and you know and it's and uh, making a whole lot more money than you would being a lawyer. You know? Yeah. Especially, well, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know what, and uh, it um, you know, but for him, yeah, he gets a chance to go do that. But like in terms of like, uh, you know, his ability, like I mean, and I can't say it like um, it would be, you know, what like if if I could go back and do something, it'd be amazing to represent your country and potentially have a chance to win a medal. But like that's one opportunity in four years. Yeah. When like you get yeah. to go play football, you get to do you know seventeen games. You get to do, it's so much more. Let's battlefield, like, like battlefield, no, fucking no, play. Listen, listen. I I know like you're talking about the in the season and how great it was, but we all know what you mean in the off season. In the off season. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, these guys are like, tell me how good it was. I'm like, it was good. I, I can't say I can't say we didn't have a wonderful time. But uh, hey, I know we're a little bit over here, Travis. So I want to I want to give you a chance. You know, I think it's such a gift for our listeners to, to meet a like-minded individual. What else? Where can they learn more? Where can, where can they get more? You have so much shit going on. Give us a give us a plug or two. What do you want people to look at? Oh, just go to mashelite.com and sign up for the newsletter, and um, you follow me on Instagram, Mash Elite Performance. Do those two things, and you'll learn everything. 
Roger that. All right, do it, people. Don't not do it, if you know what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, please do. <laughs> All, right. So, All right, guys, good show. Denny, thanks. Uh, Travis, thanks. Text we dropped off a couple minutes ago, but uh, yeah, there's this another one for the record books, man, a good one. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Travis. Drop on, drop on, drop on, drop on. Kick the wheels right now it's time for you to empower your performance. Want to learn more about Coach Travis Mash and his facility? Head over to www.mashelite.com and read all about his training style and testimonials from some of the best weightlifters in the nation. Tune in next week when we welcome Andy Stump. His goal is to set four world records in one jump for his effort titled Man on a Mission. All proceeds go to the Navy SEAL Foundation. Until next time, bye!